Our lesson today is from John chapter 10. Let me say for the benefit, there are so many visitors and so many new students. Uh, I'm Calvin Thielman. I'm the minister of the Montreal Church. I've been here for a good many years, and we want to welcome you uh, to the church. Uh, our church is um, really a community church. There's not any, any other church meeting in Montreal right now, and we're very happy that you came to uh, meet with us. We are evangelical, we emphasize an all-out commitment to Jesus Christ, and we try to faithfully preach the scriptures. Uh, each week I will try to include in the bulletin some lesson from the scripture and often the passage of scripture from which we speak. It will be helpful if you will bring your Bibles, uh, because every lesson here should be based upon good and necessary inference from the scriptures and be an exposition of God's word. We do welcome you. Now then, our second lesson is a continuation of that wonderful 10th uh, chapter of the gospel according to John. Beginning at verse 19, after Jesus has spoken of himself as the good shepherd, uh, there uh, comes opposition from the religious leaders. This is where we pick it up. There arose this verse 19, chapter 10. There arose a division again among the Jews because of these words. And many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Anyone ever said you had a demon? Anyone ever said you were insane? You're in good company. They said this about Jesus. And many of them were saying he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. If you have some Jewish friends, that's Hanukkah. Uh, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews, therefore, gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in the law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works 
that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. And many came to him, and they were saying, While John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you've been so good to us. We are grateful for the measure of health and strength that we have. We are grateful for the material possessions which you have entrusted to our care and which so often we have misused. And we pray for guidance from you. Guidance that we might make our gift really count for Jesus Christ. We pray that the Holy Spirit will superintend these offerings and that they shall go to the very causes that will bring the most glory to him and that will extend his love to the most people. We pray that you will bless us now in the act of devotion of surrendering our minds over to you and of asking that the Holy Spirit take your word and apply it to our hearts and so change them that when we leave the chapel today, we shall say in our souls and mean it that it's been good to have been in the house of the Lord and determined by your grace to walk in ways that please you. Now make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We have seen some people in the Bible and to have tried to learn lessons from their lives that would help us in our own lives. And so today, uh, we come to uh, uh, something that's really not a parable, technically, it's a, uh, actually an allegory. If you have your Bible, or if you have that responsive reading, that unison reading, rather, in the back of your hymnal, it'll help you uh, to look at John chapter 10. Now, for the benefit of our visitors, and there are so many of you here, let me go back and tell you a little bit about what we spoke on last Sunday and why we spoke on it. The Gospel of John is called the Gospel of Belief. Its purpose is to enable us to believe in Jesus Christ, so that by believing in him, we might have eternal life in his name. John states the purpose of his book in John chapter 20, verse 30. Many other signs. Now, sign is a miracle. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, that is, this Gospel of John. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Advertisers today highlight the word life. They want life with more gusto. One of the beer ads says you only go around once. Don't believe it. You're going to have to wind up one day giving an account to God. But the word life is an attractive word to advertisers and ad makers. What is life? What's the whole purpose of it? Well, the Gospel of John is written to teach us that Jesus Christ brings us the true meaning of life. Why am I here? 
Where did I come from? Where am I? What are the purposes uh, for which God has made me? And so the Gospel of John is built around a series of signs or miracles which Jesus performed. Then following those miracles, he usually enters into a discourse that is a statement uh, explaining a purpose for uh, which this has been done and a lesson meant to draw us to eternal life. In the second chapter of John, for instance, water is turned into wine. And he shows us that life can be changed. Uh, in chapter uh, uh, 3 of the Gospel of John, he speaks about the new birth. And he tells us that we can be born with a new orientation in life. And that the Holy Spirit can come within us and make us new. He heals a nobleman's son in John chapter 4. And he also speaks to a woman who had been married a number of times and was living with a man who was not her husband. He heals a lame man in chapter 5 of John. He feeds a multitude in chapter 6. And after he feeds the multitude, he speaks of himself as the bread of life. He walks on water to prove that he is the ruler of all nature, that the wind and the seas must obey his voice. And then last week, we saw him when he healed a blind man. Now the background of that is that the Lord Jesus had been in a place uh, where many lights were being lighted in the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to illustrate himself as the light of the world. And so there had been a man who had been blind from birth. And that blind man is sitting and begging Jesus came to and made some mud out of saliva, spittle, and placed it on the blind man's eyes and told him to go and to wash in the pool of Siloam. He went and he washed in the pool of Siloam, and he came away seeing. One of the things that belief in Jesus does is give to a person a miss. This blind man has a progression of faith. Uh, when he was asked about his healing, he said, first of all, a man named Jesus made mud and placed it on my face, on my eyes, and told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I went and washed and I came away seeing. Then his neighbors told the religious leaders about it, and so the elders of the church uh, called in this blind man and wanted to talk with him about it. They considered the making of the clay a violation of the Sabbath day, that that was work. Uh, they were more interested in the keeping of that law than they were in that blind man receiving his sight. And uh, the blind man gives a testimony to Jesus at that point. He says, when they say of him, who do you think he is? He says, I think he is a prophet. We said then that a prophet is one who has come from God to bring us a message from God, and so this was a high designation on the part of that blind man. But notice this progress. First he said Jesus was a man, then he said he was a prophet. Well, the religious leaders tried to intimidate him. They wanted him not to say anything good about Jesus. But the blind man would not be intimidated. Rather, the blind man spoke boldly as to who Jesus Christ, uh, who he was to him on the basis of his experience. He had been healed, 
He bore testimony to that fact, and they cast him out of the synagogue. They uh, inveighed evilly against him. They spoke ugly things about him. And here we see a very unusual thing. Jesus sought out that blind man, that blind man who had been put out of the synagogue. You will remember that I said then you are better off to be out of the church with Jesus than in the church without him. There are many people who go through a form, a ceremony, a ritual, who have no personal relationship to Jesus Christ, he is not Lord of their lives. They are simply a name on a church roll someplace, and they give mental assent to it. But there is nothing in their lives that show that he is really Lord and Master of their lives. This blind man, freed up by the Spirit of God and made to be healed, uh, gives testimony to the fact that he can see. Well, right after he had been cast out of the synagogue and Jesus came to him, uh, Jesus said to him, do you believe uh, in the designation there that he gives is equivalent to the Messiah? And he said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, I that speak to thee am he. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So he went from a man to a prophet, to saying to Jesus, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him, to worshiping Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, then, uh, after this, and the blind man having been put out of the synagogue, Jesus has a follow-up conversation with the religious leaders. They had put the man out. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, that is to, the, uh, to Jesus, we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see, so your sin remains. Then he enters right into what our division in the Bible calls chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. In other words, he's saying to them, you have not been true to the responsibility that you have from God. In other words, you are like thieves and robbers. You only want to steal from the sheep. You only want to do your purposes with them. You do not have their welfare uh, at heart. Jesus says, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. There have been many people who have proven this in the East. The sheep spend so much time with the shepherd that the sheep and the shepherd develop a, a very close relationship, so much so that those Bedouin shepherds, even to this day, can develop in the tone of voice so that when many sheep are together, they can come and call their sheep. They name them, and they can call them by name, and they will separate out and come to their particular shepherd. They recognize his voice, and that's very, very important to remember. Are you a sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you recognize his voice? 
Does his voice lead you so that you can tell something is evil and forsake it? Does his voice lead you to the place where you can seek forgiveness when you do something that is wrong? Are you his obedient sheep? Are you sensitive to his voice? Do you have that discrimination that allows you to listen and you won't hear a false shepherd? Here we are told he puts forth all his own. He goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him. They are alarmed by a stranger's voice because they do not know the voice of strangers. The figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, and that's that word for uh, uh, an, an allegory, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. And Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. That's another one of I am sayings. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. That's a big word. That's salvation for time and for eternity. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. Is your life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Are you obedient to that Lordship? Are you a phony? Or have you never really come to that place of discipleship with him? If you've come to that place, you can go in and out and find pasture. That indicates a freedom, a liberty that's in the Lord because you know he cares for you. You know that he offers you guidance. You know that he gives you security. And that brings to you safety and certainty and enjoyment. These are hallmarks of the true church and true discipleship. When Martin Luther started the great Protestant Reformation, he had to bring people back to the authority of the word of God and away from superstition. And once in a great debate, Erasmus, one of the most brilliant men in English history, in all of our history, Erasmus, I remember once at Cambridge going under a, uh, a room where Erasmus had taught, and I felt very scholarly just walking under, <laughs> under <laughs> by Erasmus's room. Uh, Erasmus was a great and brilliant man, but in his, converse, in his debate with Luther, he kept saying, church, 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 church. And Luther replied, church, church. That's all you can say, Erasmus. He said, what is the church? The church is the shepherd with the sheep following him. And that's a good thing to remember. The church is the shepherd with the sheep following him. And that's important for us to remember. Are we following the shepherd? Are we following the shepherd? He wants us to know that. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. 
We get that word mixed up all the time. We think abundantly means an abundance of things. America has more things than any other nation on the face of the earth and less satisfaction with the things. Abundance is not it. The abundance that he speaks of here is the sufficiency and the satisfaction, the serenity and the peace that come from God. That gives me purpose, that tells me where I have come from, from here, where I am going. These are the things that I must have and that I need in life. I am the good shepherd, said Jesus. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now normally if a shepherd got killed, that would spell disaster for the sheep, wouldn't it? But here it does not. Because it will spell salvation for his sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves them. That's what he speaks of these others. They are scattered. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the shepherd, the good one. Now let me tell you about this word good. The word here for good is kalos. There are two words for good. One is good that means um, beautiful. And one is good that means efficient. In other words, I am the shepherd does not lose his sheep. Do you see the meaning? It's possible uh, for a person to be a good moral person and a terrible golfer. Uh, or a, a good person, but not a good student. You see what I'm talking about? But this is one who has both qualities. He is good and efficient. He knows his own and his own know him, which brings us to a point. Do you know Jesus? Do you really know him? Is he really Lord of your life, or is he just a figure in the creed? I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is so important for us to remember because of our relationship to him. I remember when the Pope, uh, Pope John Paul, came to the United States. The Secret Service in Washington uh, had, of course, a responsibility to protect uh, him as they do any uh, visiting dignitary who comes here of great importance. And uh, they designated his, they always have a code uh, name for people. I think Jimmy Carter was Dasher, Kennedy was Camelot, I don't know what on earth Mr. Johnson was, but uh, uh, the, the, uh, I remember the designation for Pope John Paul was Shepherd One. And it's not a bad designation. I would give him Shepherd Two. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, he is a very good Pope, and I like him. But uh, Shepherd One is the Lord Jesus here. And uh, he says, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Uh, I must bring them also and they shall hear my voice. 
They'll come because they hear my voice. They come through him. And they shall become one flock and one shepherd, and they come through that one door. The shepherd would lay down um, in the doorway of where the sheep would be gathered. And they literally came through that door. They came through that shepherd. And that's the way we come to God, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not simply a verbal assent to this that really counts. But it's a life that's yielded to his lordship, that hears his voice, that follows him, and does the things that are in keeping with what he teaches in his word. He spoke about a new birth. He spoke about the water of life. He spoke about the bread of life. He spoke about the life-giving spirit. He spoke about the light of the world. He spoke about the good shepherd. But what does that mean if we are not obedient to him? If we are not obedient to him, it doesn't really mean anything. But when we are obedient to him, we see a change take place and people can tell that we are listening to a voice that they do not hear. And we are obedient to that voice. I got a new book this week by Charles Colson, a 1985 book. And in that book, Colson tells about having a conversation with Jack Eckerd of the Eckerd drugstore chain. Mr. Eckerd had come to a place, he had been a church member and all of that, but no real personal relationship with Christ. And Colson, who is a very forceful and powerful and persuasive evangelist for the Lord, I love to talk to that man because he has had a change and it takes place and you can see it all through him. And uh, Charles Colson uh, spoke with Jack uh, Eckerd and uh, led him into a deeper personal relationship with Christ. And this gives you a new eye to see with. And one day Eckerd was walking through one of his drugstores and he looked at the magazine rack. And he saw Penthouse and Playboy and other horrible, trashy magazines. That were, he looked at those and he, he wanted to do something about it. Even though he had retired from active management, there was something that just didn't seem right anymore about that. Previously, all he looked at was numbers. Whatever the computers read and the money that was made was what counted. So he spoke to some of the top management and said, I think we ought to clean up the trash that's on our magazine racks. They said, look, we got 1,700 stores. All those magazine racks make a lot of money. Uh, you are no longer the, at that place in management. He said, yes, but I am the largest stockholder. And that gives you a little clout. <laughs> and uh, they cleaned up their, uh, their magazine racks. You see, the Lord gave him a different way of looking at things. He could see that this was false, that it does evil, and that it does not do good. So a change is taking place in his life, and that's good. Albert Speer, I, I've been intrigued with studying the history of World War II as a pastime, and I read a book by Albert Speer, uh, who designed all those tremendous buildings for Adolf Hitler and who would have been probably one of the great industrial geniuses of all time. He was the man who kept the Nazi armaments going and he uh, 
was one of those people at the Nuremberg crimes who was sentenced to 20 years in prison. But the interesting thing about Speer was that he admitted he was guilty. He admitted he was guilty and that he did wrong. He said he could never expiate, that is, take away for the sin that he had done against millions of people in the world. And when someone asked Speer one time, why? He had been so obedient to Adolf Hitler. Speer said an interesting thing. He said it's hard to say no to the devil when he has his hand on your shoulder. That's an interesting thing. It's hard to say no to the devil when he has his hand on your shoulder. That means you listen to the voice of the devil. But if he had known Jesus Christ, and had lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he could have said no to Adolf Hitler like Dietrich Bonhoeffer did. Because it wouldn't matter if his life had been sacrificed. His life already belongs to God. We sung that hymn, Like a River Glorious, a while ago. One of the reasons that we sung it was a man at prayer meeting always requests that uh, him and wanted us to sing it sometime on Sunday morning at church. That guy used to be with the 101st Airborne out in Vietnam. They never impressed. I was there three times and I, I was with the 101st Airborne on one occasion and spoke to them. And it seemed always ironical that a big old tough 101st Airborne guy wanted it like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. But you see, that guy had a relationship with Jesus Christ that made the difference. He knew what it was to have a shepherd who would lay down his life for him. Jesus was Lord of his life. But is he Lord of your life? That's what really counts. Does he make a difference in the way in which you live? Some people you can go into a room and it's like pulling a hand, the pin on a hand grenade and rolling it in. Some people can bring peace because of the perfect peace of the Lord. Okay, let's see some of the things quickly. What does this shepherd bring? I will give you rest, said Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you drink, said Jesus. Remember that woman at the well who was thirsty and Rob and Natalie sang about that a while ago? I will give you the living water, the living water inside that will quench the thirst of your souls. Forgiveness of sins. Next week we'll be studying about the woman that was taken in adultery and how Jesus can give a total and complete forgiveness of sins. Go thy way and sin no more. Guidance. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I am with you always. I remember one of our troops who, who were parachuted in, in, down in Vietnam, who was being led out of the jungles by a guide. And he got panicky because of the intense uh, jungle that was there. And he said to this Montagnard, this uh, native uh, person from the mountain people, uh, Where is the way? And the Montagnard said to him, I am the way. Follow me. I am the way. 
Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am with you always. So he can change Jack Eckerd, he can change Charles Colson, he can change you, he can change me. Companionship, that he's with us all. Peace, my peace I give to you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Comfort, food, he said, I am the bread of life, I'll satisfy your soul. Joy, I came that you might have joy. Deep satisfaction and great joy in your heart. Anything in this life, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. Whatever will bring glory to God that's as consistent with his will. Anything in the life to come, all things are yours in him. You are Christ's and Christ is God's, said Paul. And the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd came to us that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. But the key to the whole thing today is whether or not you belong to the Shepherd. Is he your Shepherd? And do you belong to him that way? Are you like a hireling? In 1979, I poem on a Sunday morning service, and I close with it today. Listen. It was written in a Negro dialect on a plantation by someone who had heard this chapter and who wanted to put it in the simple language of the black people of that day and it speaks poignantly to our hearts now. Poor little black sheep that strayed away done lost in the wind and the rain. And the shepherd, he say, oh, Harlan, go find my sheep again. And a Harlan frown, oh, shepherd, that sheep and black and bad. But the shepherd, he smiled like the little black sheep was the onlyest lamb he had. And he say, oh, Harlan, hasten for the wind and the rain and cold and that little black sheep and lonesome out there so far from the fold. But the Harlan frown, oh, shepherd, that sheep am old and gray. But the shepherd smiled like the little black sheep was fair as the break of day. And he say, O Harlan, hasten, lo, here's the ninety and nine, but there way off from the sheepfold is that little black sheep of mine. And the Harlan frowned, O shepherd, the rest of the sheep am here. But the shepherd, he smiled like the little black sheep. He hold it to Moses, dear. And the shepherd go out in the darkness where the night was cold and bleak. And the little black sheep, he find it and he lay it against his cheek. And a howling frown, all oh, shepherd, don't bring that sheep to me. But the shepherd, he smile and he hold it close. And the little black sheep is me. And the little black sheep is me. Now what about you? Do you belong to the shepherd? Does it make any difference in the way you treat your wife, in the way you treat your husband, in the way you treat your children, in the way you treat your employees, in the way you treat your neighbors, in the way you spend your money, in the way you live? Do you hear his voice 
and do you obey and follow him? If not, you can give your heart to him today. You can ask him to come into your life. You can indicate it by coming forward if you like. You can pray in your own heart. You can see me after the church. Uh, service has been concluded. Let us bow in prayer. O oh God, our Father, the whole burden of the lesson this morning is to teach us of our own personal relationship to Thee and the need of it. We pray that You will help us not to fool ourselves by playing at church, but that You will cause us to realize our own personal need of a walk with Thee. Help us so that when we go forth from this chapel today, we may hear the lines of this hymn and this word from you today haunting us so that we may know the joy and the security and the safety that there is in our shepherd and also the challenge and the responsibility that we have to live for him. Help us to be sensitive to obey his voice. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be all glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore.